Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, June 12th, 2021. One thing we talk about often on this podcast is the rising tide of opposition and hostility towards Christ and towards His Word in our culture. And one thing that's sad for any Christian and any pastor is when you see someone that you know or that you know of kind of giving in to that pressure and opposition. People even coming out and saying that they no longer believe the Bible, that they no longer believe in Christ or or saying something that, hey, they still believe in Jesus, but they've redefined him in such a way that it's totally opposite of what the Bible actually teaches. And so that's a very sad thing to see. And sometimes in response to that, you might find yourself saying, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to give in to the pressures of our culture. I'm never going to deny Christ. And at that point, maybe you're starting to say, wait, this is sounding a little bit familiar because there was once a man who said, I will never deny you. But as we're going to see today, he ends up denying Christ three times that very night. And by now, you've probably put the pieces together of who I'm talking about, and I'm talking about the Apostle Peter, and we're going to read about his denial of Christ today in Mark 14, 66 to 72. And as we look at that, I kind of want us to remember some of the lead up into this, uh, because what we read about today in this short reading in the Gospels is the actual denial, where we're going to see here three times in rather quick succession, uh, Peter denying Christ, and then we see at the end of the passage, Peter remembers how the Lord had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, and he broke down and wept. So there we read about it happening, but It calls to mind what had happened back earlier in chapter 14, what we read about a few days ago, starting in verse um, 27, where Jesus is predicting that everyone's going to be scattered. And Peter says in verse 29, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And that even reminds us, Peter wasn't the only one talking a big game, uh, but he is the only one that then denied or that we know of that denied Christ in that way three times that very night. And so it's good for us to kind of check ourselves. We, we hopefully do have a desire saying, no, I'm going to stand for Christ. And what I want us to realize is that's not a bad thing, right? Certainly, I wouldn't want us to see someone fall away from the faith and say, yeah, that's probably what I'm going to do in five years. No, we, we should be saying, God, I want to stand strong for you. But what, what I think we should evaluate today is there's a right way to go about that and, and there's a wrong way. To go about that. And I do think, as we look at the example here of Peter, that there was a sense of brashness and even a a sense of self sufficiency in his confidence for saying that he would stand was really based on himself. And then we saw another episode that 
maybe as a warning sign early on uh, before the denial happened. And that is the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is about to be tested and he is pouring out his heart to God. He's pouring out his heart to his, his father. And what is Peter doing? He's sleeping. So what you even think about the words of Christ and he warns Peter about what's going to happen. And Peter just answers with confidence and then sleep where maybe perhaps Peter should have uh, responded with humility and dependence that led him to pray, that led him to be in the garden saying, whoa, Jesus said this, God help me. And so as we think about ourselves and you think about, well, hey, where are you going to be 10 years from now? Where are you going to be 20 years from now? Are you going to be standing strong for Christ? I hope the answer for all of us is yes, I want to be standing strong for Christ. But let's not go about that in a self-confident, maybe even slightly arrogant way where we look down on those who we see walking away from the faith as if we are better than them. May it bring a cry of humility and dependence in our hearts saying, God, I don't want to do that. I want to be faithful to you. I want to be faithful to you until the end. And God, I know you can help me do that because you say that you've given us your spirit and that we should take heart that you have overcome the world. So God, I I believe that I can stand strong for you, but I can only do it with your help, with your spirit. And let maybe those warning signs of the apostle Peter or of modern day deniers of Christ that we see in our own time, let it be a wake up call that drives us to dependence, that drives us to prayer, and that will end up ultimately helping us to stand firm. And we'll stand firm not because we were self-confident, but we will stand firm because we were humble and seeking God and leaning on Him. We were really abiding in Christ. So I hope that helps us think through some things, even just as we think about our own culture and the times that we are living in. And I pray that you will be standing strong for Christ 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and standing strong until Jesus returns or um, until he calls you home to be with him. But may we all stand strong and stand strong in humility, stand strong in dependence that will lead us then to stand strong against the pressures of the world. In our next couple passages today, I want us to think about glory and just the beauty of God and the majesty of God and the weightiness of God. And we're going to see that first in 1 Kings 8 and 9. We've read about the temple being built and we've seen it was an amazing building. You know, the finest materials, the finest craftsmanship, uh, just an incredible wonder of the ancient world world. And while we've been seeing just some of that behind the scenes and the details of the architecture, today we get to some more of the spiritual significance of it as we see the completion and we see the dedication of the temple. And we even see at the beginning of chapter eight, the ark is brought into the temple. And in verse 10, it says, and when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And so there, this cloud is this visible manifestation of the glory of God, and it is filling the temple. What an amazing sight that must have been. And then we see Solomon thanking God. We see some of his prayer of dedication beginning in verse 23. 
He says, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant, David, my father, what you have declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand. You have fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant, David, my father, what you have promised, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you walked before me. And so we see him recalling God's promise, uh, praising God for his faithfulness, confessing how great God is, that there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath. And then we see some of the humility in verse 27, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built, right? And this house may have been one of the most magnificent buildings in the whole world at that time. But even then, because God is so great, Solomon has a sense of how can this measly house contain the God that the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain. But then he goes on to pray a lot of prayers saying, God, if people pray towards this house, will you hear them? And he gives a lot of different scenarios for that. And we see at the end, one phrase that I love is starting in verse 60 of chapter eight. It says that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord, our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. So one thing is we think about the glory of God. The glory of God should always invoke a response in us. There is no one like God our God. And that is not just a fact that is out there. That should be something that transforms our lives because there is no one like God. We should seek to pursue him and to obey him and to trust him in great ways because of his glory, because there is no one like him. And I hope the majesty of that scene even inspires our own hearts as we think about this. But also, as we see this, a lot of it was tied to a place towards this specific temple. And even in that temple was the Ark of the Covenant containing the the, the stones and the Ten Commandments. But we're going to see a shift as we go now to 2 Corinthians 3. We're going to stay on the theme of glory, and we're going to continue to think about that. But we are also going to see a shift in how we should think about glory and definitely a big transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. Because as we look at 2 Corinthians 3, we see some direct contrasts. And he talks not about Solomon, but he talks about Moses and how Moses would speak with God and would have to veil his face. And now he says in this new covenant time that there's there's something different. There is something new. That now it says in verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Verse 17, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And so we see there as Christians in this new covenant time, we have this access to God. Even you think of Hebrews and some of the language of the veil being removed and being to go 
able to go inside the veil. All of these things where instead of one physical place and the Ark of the Covenant and the glory filling the temple, now we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord. And I think chapter four is going to help us see we behold the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we need to realize the incredible privilege that we have, that we can behold the glory of God. And notice again, beholding the glory of God and even thinking of that statement that Solomon said, there is no one like him. That was meant to be something that transformed them. Well, same for us, but in a new way, when we behold the glory of God and realize how great he is, how majestic he is, that there is no one like him, that's what should transform us. Notice again, verse 18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So really our beholding of God is one of the things and maybe even the primary thing that's going to cause us to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. And so that's important for us as we read God's word. We certainly want to be getting to the application. We want to understand what difference this is going to make in our lives. But an important part of that process is making sure we are understanding more of who God is and that our view of God is being shaped by his word because it is really growing in our knowledge and growing in our view really of the glory of God through his word, God's going to use that to help lead us to the application and to transform us from one degree of glory to another. Now, finally, we want to look at Psalm 72 this morning, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And this is fitting to read this at this time because this is a Psalm of Solomon, and it is a regal Psalm where it clearly is talking about the king. And clearly we can see, at least at this stage in Solomon's life with the building of the temple, how good it is when a nation has a good king or a good leader that is leading people to the Lord and what a glorious thing that can be. And so I think as we read this, one good thing, a good way to apply this psalm is to pray for your leaders, right? This might get us thinking about the political realm. Maybe it should also get you thinking even about your church. Pray for your leaders. It is a good thing when a nation or a state or a city or a church is led by people who love the Lord and people who, it says there in verse two, may he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice, right? Leaders that are doing the right thing in God's eyes. And then when we have those leaders, we can pray what we see later that God would bless them. So pray for your leaders. In our case, especially as we think about politics, we should be regularly praying for the salvation of our leaders, that as they receive God's righteousness, it would transform how they lead and that they would lead with a new definition of righteousness and justice that's not based on political ideas, but is really based on the truth of God's word. So hopefully this psalm can encourage us to pray in those ways. But even as we think about our culture and even you look at some leaders in our culture and see them as a representation of opposition to Christ and his culture, let us resolve to stand firm for Christ. But let us resolve to stand firm with a humility and dependence on Christ as we seek to be courageous for him. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.